everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Unwise Girls. I'm your host, Jacqueline. And I'm your host, Jane. And we're your favorite podcast, all about the books of Rick Riordan. Today, we're continuing The Mark of Athena. How are you doing today, Jane? On, on this, the, the two-year anniversary of our podcast, I've decided that starting a Percy Jackson podcast was a mistake. Oh? I was not warned beforehand that I would have to deal with several chapters just about spiders. Nobody told me this. You know, we, we've said a lot about, like, um, the, the way that, like, this book specifically has handled uh, the, the villain and, like, the strangeness of the reveal. I kind of wonder if that wasn't supposed to be your warning. <laughs> hmm, who can say? How are you, Jacqueline? You know, I am doing all right. Like you said, it's, our, it's just about our two-year anniversary making this show, and... I I'm feeling fucking golden. I'm really excited. I did legitimately it does not process in my brain that it's been two years. As far as I'm concerned, it's been about one and a bit, and it one will always bit. be about one and a bit. Yeah, I know. I think so. <laughs> uh, it, it seems unreal, right? Like, uh, but I and I do want to make an announcement because it didn't land on episode 100, but. We've got, like, what, a month until episode 100 or so? hmm And so we're going to be doing a very special episode 100 uh, featuring a, uh, a Q&A segment. Yeah. Technically, we do the Q&A segment every week, but nobody ever sends any, any questions, mostly because we forget to solicit any until, like, 30 minutes before we record. That's true. Uh, and we've only done that, like, once in the past year. So <laughs> what we're going to do is we're going to be doing a big Q&A. You can ask us questions about the series so far, about uh, the podcast so far, anything you want to do. And we're going to have that as sort of our... our Home address, our, our, social security number, you know. Anything you want. We'll answer it on the episode. Send it in <laughs> our email. Do it on our Discord server. It would probably be good. Maybe we'll make a special channel just for that. Uh, send it to us on Twitter. Wherever you want to do it. Yeah. Uh, and we will answer it. Uh, so we don't want to, you know, obviously it's still a few weeks till then. Don't want to get too sappy, but, uh, you know, thanks everyone for listening still. Yeah. I think we also we have we also have a news segment this week, if I, if I believe correctly uh we do we do uh i something we there is new percy jackson news out there i was unaware of this yeah uh they discovered how roman concrete is so good oh i yeah i remember seeing a thing about that and thinking i'll read that later and then not doing that yeah yeah this is this is some annabeth certified news probably (laughs) It, it turns out that they uh, used to th- that there are these little like lime bits in Roman concrete that people were always like, oh, this must be like an imperfection from the process. No, mm-hmm. it turns out that that's actually the good bits. Uh, like it was they, supposed they, to do that. It was supposed to. They did that on purpose. They were pretty good at it, and so it, they didn't just consistently fuck up every time. They were doing it for a reason. Uh, and so I guess the lime bits make it so it's better at self healing, which is not a thing that I knew before today. Concrete could do. Wait, it can? Fucking... I just thought Roman concrete was, like, harder. Apparently it's self-healing. Jesus Christ. Yeah. You know, those Romans could build some stuff, I guess. <laughs> yeah, never. no wonder they kicked the Greeks' asses. Yeah. They had fucking sci-fi technology. <laughs> what did the Greeks uh. have? Phalanx. 
<laughs> I did see a good meme earlier about the Greeks <laughs> and their phalanxes. Uh, I feel like a fucking Facebook boomer saying shit. I don't know. I saw a pretty <laughs> meme earlier about the Greek phalanx. It was a minion talking about how good the phalanx was. It was actually a doge, but... <laughs> anyway, I, do you want me to deliver the summaries to you? Reddit Gen X, not Facebook boomer. Anyway, That's yes. It's true. All right. Chapter 33, Annabeth. The scooter ride through Rome with Tiberinus and Rhea Silvia is incredibly disorienting for Annabeth. They know about the city's entire lifespan, and the sheer amount of history is overloading, so she politely asks them to shut up for a bit. <laughs> Their ride ends at a marble building that contains an entrance to the catacombs, which the gods instruct her to proceed through until she finds the altar of a foreign god, and to let herself be guided by the failure of her predecessors. She enters and, alone on a quest for basically the first time ever, takes a good long think about her situation. She's got no special powers, no friends. And on top of that, the Mark of Athena's guided her straight to a deep pit. How's she gonna get down there without any special powers? Well, like the prophecy said, Wisdom's daughter walks alone, with only her own resourcefulness to succeed at the quest. She searches the room for supplies and manages to braid together a ladder from string and plastic swords. With some renewed confidence, she descends. Chapter 34, Annabeth. After reaching the bottom of the pit and wandering for a bit, Annabeth starts to wonder if this isn't an extension of Daedalus's labyrinth that was cut off when its architect died and most of it came crumbling down. Considering her uniformly terrible time the last time she was in the labyrinth, she just has to hope not. The mark leads her to a room full of skeletons and covered in depictions of an unknown god, certainly the foreign god's altar that Tiberinus and Rhea Sylvia told her to find. She immediately clocks it as a test, and is proven right when a bunch of misogynistic ghosts appear, and tell her that no girls are allowed in their men-only Mithras mystery morgue. Mithras is the, the god they worship, a Persian-slash-Roman god of warriors. She manages to bluff her way through, piecing together most of their ultimate secrets just by looking around the room. They have a series of rites of passage that you have to go through to rise up in the ranks, and initiates are tested with either the fire or the dagger, Mithras assembles. Her knowledge impresses and frightens them, but they've been hired by Arachne to get rid of her, so they refuse to allow her passage. In a desperate last attempt, Annabeth guesses correctly that they have a third, even more ultra-secret ordeal, the Trial of Stone, and strikes the ceiling, collapsing the rocks onto the cavern of Mithras and giving her the opportunity to slam into the brick entrance, hurtling into darkness. And strikes the ceiling, collapsing the cavern of Mithras and giving her the opportunity to slam into the brick entrance, hurtling into the darkness. Chapter 35, Annabeth. Unfortunately, the darkness didn't lead to an adjacent room. It was a sheer drop Annabeth was completely unprepared for, and she hits the ground ankle first, breaking it immediately. She forces herself not to go into shock and uses some of Grover's old survival advice to assess her situation. No immediate threats, a bit of ambrosia in her pack she can use to numb the pain, and zero way to call for help without failing the quest and potentially doing the world. Luckily, a Hermes Express package containing a bunch of bubble wrap lies within crawling distance, so she's able to create a bubble splint and continue through the underground. Chapter 36, Annabeth. Pretty much as soon as she goes through the next tunnel, Annabeth starts being chased by a horde of spiders. She can't exactly run, and she's ended up right in front of a chasm, so she sets some old wood behind her ablaze to stave them off temporarily. While they're occupied, she uses the string she picked up earlier to weave a bridge. After getting across, she sets that on fire too. The spiders won't follow her, suggesting she's passed whatever test this was. The next room she enters is full of majestic tapestries, woven more beautifully than anything she's ever seen, and in the center 
is the Athena Parthenos, a 40-foot-tall statue of Athena holding both a statue of the goddess Nike and a shield. It looks just like her mom. While wondering how she could even get it above ground, one of the tapestries catches her eye. It shows her and Percy kissing in the Camp Half-Blood Canoe Lake right after the Titan War ended. That's when we finally hear from the Weaver herself, Arachne, who begins to descend from above. She says she's been keeping an eye on Annabeth, knowing she would be the one to finally reach this place alive. Arachne is monstrous, with the body of a black widow and mandibles protruding from her mouth that drip with venom while she reveals her plan. To feast on Annabeth, Athena's most talented child as her ultimate revenge. So Jane, what'd you think of the chapters this week? I I think these are some pretty good chapters. Seeing An- Annabeth on her own doing her thing. And I like Annabeth, so... <laughs> I completely agree. These were these were very good. I love that we're finally getting some solo Annabeth questing content. Pretty, it is kind of weird deep. that she's like the last time I was this scared and alone. I was I was just a kid looking for Luke and Thalia in that um, in that Cyclops hideout. Instead of like the last time I was this scared and alone, uh, Luke was holding me hostage while I was holding the world up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, I don't know. Maybe she knew her friends would save her then, so she didn't feel alone. I guess so. Uh, maybe she. I guess she still thought that Luke could kind of maybe be saved at that point. It's true, true, yeah. She didn't have the, like, utter hopelessness and dread and, like, oh, the world isn't completely fucked that she kind of does now. Yeah. She's not, she's, she's not hopeless in that way, but you know what I mean. Like, <laughs> she's she's grown a bit more cynical as the years have gone by. Yeah, and she's having a pretty fucking awful time of it. Yeah, yeah. Th- these chapters feature, like, We've had a couple of instances in our in our journey of like Rick Riordan cutting right to the core of it and describing something that is just like horrible to read, uh, mm. like absolutely excruciating. And uh, the the opening to chapter thirty five is definitely one of those. Uh, yeah, when she breaks her ankle, just in a series where I I one of the problems that I often find myself having is like the stakes kind of getting away from reality and kind of getting too wrapped up in their own bullshit. Like, just the idea that Annabeth just fucks up, falls down a big hole, and breaks her ankle. It's, just, it's such a, a grounded and, like, somewhat relatable, like, situation to put that character in. Yeah, the hardest-hitting moments in the series are when uh, these, like, larger-than-life heroes that we're following are reduced to, you know, the children that they are. Like, the 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 people that we can relate to, which is, like, you know, ow, I broke my ankle. This is the worst. She describes it as being worse than holding the world on her shoulders. <laughs> yeah, it reminds me of like um, one one of the very few fight scenes that I remember from Kane Chronicles, which was like I think in the third book, Carter getting like kicked around on a on a boat on the Nile, and it just it describes him like smacking into things and getting bruised and bleeding, and it's just it when when Rick goes in for the viscerality, it it generally it genuinely hits really well. Definitely, he's good at that stuff. You know, this so this whole thing is Annabeth's. This is Annabeth's quest. I'm actually kind of surprised how quickly it wrapped up. Uh, the the trail for the Mark of Athena sure was like four rooms long. <laughs> yeah, it was. Like we've had two instances of the owl showing up before this, maybe three, and then there's this, which is like a series. Like we, you know, it's enjoyable to read, but it is a series of like dungeon rooms. It is very much, it feels limited a little bit by the fact that, like, we're in Annabeth's perspective for these four chapters, and then we're going to have to kind of, um, 
leave for quite a few chapters in a row to get everyone else's perspectives. Yeah. So we kind of we yeah. need to get Annabeth into a cliffhanger position before that ends. Yeah, definitely. Like to that degree, I think it works pretty well. Like it does get to the point it needs to with like her mm. facing off against Arachne, and we now that we're going to be away for a while, it really it really builds up that like oh god, what the fuck is going to happen? Yeah, exactly. I think it's really funny that um, <clears throat> the implication of this is that she's the only child of Athena who is smart enough to defeat the um, the the idiot cultists of uh, Mithras. Yeah, it seems like all the rest of them died there. <laughs> yeah, and to be fair. Maybe, like, maybe there's almost a degree to it, which is, like, maybe the other ones were a little bit too reliant on their wisdom, because Annabeth is not being particularly wise here. No, Annabeth is going fucking Sherlock mode. She's 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 fully bluffing. Like, she is, like, not only is she an analyzing the room and, like, oh, this symbol must mean this, this symbol must mean this. What she's also doing is, like, bluffing that she is the magna mater of the, like, opposing cult or something like that. I love the running joke in this chapter where she calls herself the magna mater of a different cult, and the ghosts, like, just translate what she's saying into English, and they spend the whole chapter calling her, oh no, she's the big mother. <laughs> yes. And I just, I... I like that as a joke about, like, yeah, Latin sounds cool and fancy to us because it's, like, a different language, a lot of prestige attached to it. But if you were Roman, you just sounded like an idiot if you said something like that. Absolutely. It's it's very good. This this is probably my favorite bit in the chapters is this encounter with the weird, uh, mi- mi- like, mystery cultists. The, the, uh, the underground uh, secluded cavern, which is just a guy zone, no girls allowed... The, the underground Mithras goon cave, if you will. Jesus Christ, Jade. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. No, you're right, though. Like, I mean, They're Roman legionaries as well. They're all like, listen, they're intense male partnerships formed. It's completely true. It's completely <laughs> true. I, this, this section is really gets me especially because I feel like when you are... When this is my experience, at least when I was a kid, uh, you know, I was like, I would do like a little bit of like, ooh, I've read the like big books of various Greek myths. Now I want to do a little bit of serious research, which mm-hmm. meant that I went on Wikipedia, uh, on like the school computers. Yeah, uh, and usually, where you might eventually end up is you would find like you would find something about the mysteries. You would find, like, oh, the Orphic mysteries or, like, various types of, like, mysteries that various cults had. And when I was a kid, that was always, like, oh, there's some serious shit going on. There's mysteries. (laughs) People don't know what's happening. Uh, And so for the first time, that concept showing up here and for it to just be completely, like, torn down uh, is hilarious to me. Yeah, because it's just it's just the ancient Greek equivalent of a men's club, basically. Yeah, definitely. But they like, think they're really smart and mysterious. You, that's a that's a comparison I hadn't thought of, but it's a really good. Like they are entirely the fucking like uh, like the the Knights Templar or whatever, <laughs> or the who the are the ones the, the stonemasons or something. The Masons, yeah, that's exactly what they are, and. The fact there's like, oh, this entire bit is so good. Like one of them is like, ah, but surely she doesn't know about the ordeals. And she just immediately is like, I know about the ordeals. It's, <laughs> it's hilarious. She doesn't even prove it. No, she doesn't. I, oh my God. Annabeth, Annabeth is amazing. And this is a, like 
this is again like I'm so glad to have her in this protagonist position. Uh, she's which she's definitely uniquely suited for. Like if you put Percy here, he'd probably just fight all of them. He would get very confused and then die. Yeah. Uh, I did. I did a little bit of digging into. Myth- Speaking of going on Wikipedia and looking up gods, I did look up uh, Mithras's uh, Wikipedia page. Uh, and there, there are a couple of interesting details from here. The first one is that... Um, oh, shit. We've got a mythology corner from Jane. We've got a mythology corner from Jane. Um, let me find it, because I want to... This is actually a call-out post for Rick Riordan. Uh, my call-out post for Rick Riordan is that um, there's a list of uh, uh, murals on the floor of this place, which is like... Um, the far end of the room, the altar was elaborately carved with a frieze showing the man with an ice cream scoop. With the ice cream scoop hat holding it, etc. Uh, this is like the list of murals is taken like word for word from Wikipedia. <laughs> really? Yeah. Uh, numerous archaeological finds included blah blah blah. The iconic scene show Mithras uh, showing being born from a rock, slaughtering a bull, and sharing a banquet with the god Sol. Like these are all three of the the murals that show up in uh, in this little cave. That's really funny. He didn't come up with like a new one or anything. He just show he just did the ones that we already know about. He just used the Wikipedia page. <laughs> Which like <sighs> fair enough, I guess. You know, yeah, that's I guess if they're mysteries, there's not that much that's probably kind of hard to learn about them. Rick Riordan isn't going to be like breaking new ground. True. Uh the other thing is that uh it I mean, according to this Wikipedia page, which I'm taking as just like scholarly verified facts, uh, there's actually kind of a lot of um, debate about whether Mithras is directly descended from a Persian god, or if, like, was just kind of indirectly inspired by one. Interesting, interesting, okay. Which I, f- I find interesting also in the sense that, like, this is who Rick Ryden defines as, like, a foreign god, as opposed to, hey, Rick, where'd, where's um where's Minerva from? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, it kind of seems like the the Romans absorbed, like, all kinds of gods and traditions, including, like, Christianity, from, like, people who they had contact with or invaded or conquered. And, like, they had a lot of contact and wars with people in Persia. So, why, 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 Rick Ryden, would this be the one that you define as foreign and not the Greek ones? Hmm. It's true. No, it's really <laughs> true. Like, find the foreign god. Like, this is, like, obviously there has been a... The Greek and Roman gods, I guess, in the the present culture or what have you, or this, I would say, like the the specific advent of today's like Greek mythology interest in like sort of the like America and European sphere, uh, does conflate like oh, it's the Greek and Roman ones, mm-hmm. but 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 uh, it's like it, it's very important to remember that historically that is that is not a pure conflation like that is not a very good analysis of like actual history like yeah. the, the the roman gods as it were like are made up of they're all like not they're not all but like most of them quote unquote foreign gods to the romans yeah they just nicked them from whoever they happen to be conquering at the minute it turns out that's really useful to conquering <laughs> people and so i yeah there is definitely problematizing the word foreign here as like, well, why, why do you specify Rick Riordan? Could it be because uh, you have placed some degree of normalcy? And like, one might even say like, like idea of the West and like the normal world upon Greece. 
And maybe, like, Persia is where brown people live, and therefore it's foreign. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> anyway, that's my entire thing about Mithras. That's a pretty good thing. I can't believe we went through the entire... I literally made fun of you for not knowing who actors were, and I went through the entire last episode without, like, realizing that it was, like, a literally specific Roman holiday reference that was happening here with these actors. <laughs> yeah, no, it is just a scene from the movie. I didn't... I certainly didn't realize that. You know, Rick Riordan has, has duped us once again. I looked at the plot of that movie also because I just decided to be on a Wikipedia thing today. Like, I don't, I don't know if this is an original take or anything, but fifties romance movies were kind of fucked up. What? What's it like? Uh, the, so the the plot is basically what Annabeth lays out. Uh, there's a few key details that she omits. Um, the way that Gregory Peck and Audrey Hepburn's characters meet is that uh, Audrey Hepburn is like this princess character who's very stressed out from her royal duties. Uh, So she takes an anti-stress drug from her doctor and kind of bails on everything that she's doing. Uh, She passes out on a park bench, uh, and Gregory Peck finds her, picks her up, and moves her into his house while she's unconscious. Oh my god. (laughs) That's strike one. Uh, Strike two is that uh, Gregory Peck's character, who's a reporter, um, kind of runs off, goes to his photographer friend, and is like, "I've, I've... rescued quote-unquote this princess and i'm gonna get a cool exclusive interview with her but she can't know that that's what i'm doing so i'm gonna lie to her and not tell her that i'm a reporter and try and get an interview scoop that way uh so he goes back he tries that uh she decides to just leave instead of falling for this shit uh and when she leaves uh he follows her all around while she's like having a day out and going shopping and then and the wikipedia page puts quotes around this accidentally bumps into her oh my god Fucking kidnapping her and lying to her and stalking her. That's that's horrifying. This movie is horrifying. <laughs> what does this say about the fact that Annabeth's dad projects his relationship onto it? I think, I mean, there there is an element I can see why this is what Rick Ryden would pull out to like parallel to that. Because the ending of the movie is that uh, she goes back to her royal duties after this brief fling with uh, Gregory Peck's character and they can't ultimately stay together. So I can oh, see sure, sure. why that's kind of drawn on as, like, the the Annabeth's dad and Athena thing. But also, what the fuck? Yeah, no, it's it's reasonable. <laughs> it, it's it's the type of thing that this guy would, like, this type of guy would absolutely project onto. Like, this sort of old-fashioned romance, you know, the, 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 the lovers who can't be together. It's very sad, but... Maybe this, maybe this old nerd isn't so innocent after all. Who would have thought that the guy with a house full of um, World War memorabilia of various kinds was kind of suspect? Lordy, lordy. <laughs> God, these two are weird. They are, yeah. They're having a good time, though. They're good having fun. And and what what happens here that is pretty good is, like, uh, Tiberius and Rhea Silvia get across well, like, in a pretty, like, quick amount of time. Just, like what you need to convey about Rome when you're there, which is that it is, like, impossibly old. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, not impossibly old, but it is it is old, and things have just been happening on it pretty continuously. Uh, and so making them, making them these weird, like... I think the pull of, like, old Hollywood is actually really good for this, because old yeah. Hollywood actor, actors and, like, the, the acting style, what you might call, like, the transatlantic accent, that is very, uh, there, it's a high-speed way of talking, 
It's mm-hmm. a it's it's a back and forth sort of pattern that makes it so that magnum that you like have to read this in you have to read them like going back and forth like ah yes and the the the, this event happened here and here and then but two thousand years later this happened here and oh but do you remember the time that you saved my babies oh yes of course but this there then then there was a cat it's a very good pull because it is a um yeah definitely i think you're definitely onto something with like the, the the conscious pulling not just like referencing the movie but like consciously pulling on that um that like style of uh, like writing dialogue and stuff just because like one of the things that jumped out at me about um that movie's wikipedia page was that it's apparently part of a period called uh, um hollywood on the tiber i think it's called okay which is like a specific period where like a lot of hollywood movies are being made in rome and i feel like i don't know maybe the decision to specifically have the river got be tiberinus was maybe like a conscious reference to that that makes sense. So I think that that would fit very well with what you're saying about like the kind of the very the very almost kind of hammy, fast paced way that these people are like able to kind of elegantly dump a bunch of exposition into our laps. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the uh, the other thing for just I, 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 there's a recurring segment I think on this um, podcast where it's just like Jane remembers that history exists and it kind of cooks her noodle a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and specifically when I was just reading about like <clears throat> Annabeth going like oh well these Romans are all walking around all day not even realizing all the history um, right beneath their feet and I was like that's ridiculous you would never live in a situation like that and I remember that I technically live in the former Roman Empire <laughs> and don't think <laughs> about that a whole lot so maybe she's onto something Jane you you often tell me of a very specific Roman like artifact I know, but I'm not think I'm not thinking about Hadrian's Wall on a daily basis. That's fair. That's fair. I guess it just comes <laughs> up a lot for some. But that's the point. You don't think about it every day, right? Yeah, it only comes up so often because we're reading a fucking history mythology series. Yeah, yeah. And like, <laughs> unless the unless these Romans were also doing a history mythology series, then they they just wouldn't think about the fact that they're living on like the place where Julius Andronicus lived or whatever. <laughs> Uh, poor Julius Andronicus stabbed 28 times on the floor of the Senate and then cooked someone's children into a pie. <laughs> it was really amazing that he was able to get up and do that. <laughs> it's the grind set, you know? This is what this is what our, our traditional forefathers had over us. Absolutely. I, I have, you have to give the respect to our ancestors. And speaking of ancestors... I guess not ancestors as such, but all of Annabeth's dipshit siblings. I, yeah, she crunches in some of their bones a little bit here. She crunches in some of their bones. I have a theory about why all these bones are in here. Go ahead. Uh, I don't think that all of these people were killed by the um, the Mithras, whatever the fuck they're called. Uh, I think quite a lot of them uh, jumped in. There's like the first chamber where you, you mentioned in the summaries, like Annabeth builds a rope ladder and, fall, and uh, climbs down. But she uses kite string and plastic swords to do that. And I feel like beyond like 100 years ago, there weren't no plastic swords or kite strings. Oh, so I feel yeah. like a lot of those kids kind of just jumped for it. <laughs> they jump for it, they die, and then the little channel of water washes them into the Mithras chamber. That makes a lot of sense. It's horrifying. <laughs> oh my god. No, can we talk about some of her inventions here, though? Uh-huh. Like, okay. You know, like like she said, you know, her brain is super, her, her superpower, et cetera, et cetera. She's going fucking but, MacGyver mode. Yeah, she makes she makes a ladder 
I, I read this a few times. I don't think she uses anything other than string and plastic swords, right? Yeah, that's it. She uh, she wraps she uh, weaves the string so that it makes like a rope, but that's it. Genuinely amazing. You know, good job for her. <laughs> and then later she makes a a splint out of old like old wood boards, I think, and bubble wrap. Mhm. That the appearance of this bubble wrap is it's not baffling to me, but there really are just some moments in the series where you know, you have to you have to nod your hat toward the god in the machine. <laughs> and that god in the machine is Herbie's, because he can appear anywhere and drop any bullshit wherever he wants to. He really can't. I do you think this is a favor, like he's paying Annabeth back for getting his for getting his uh staff back in the in the short story? I feel like he considers Annabeth not smite worthy off the back of that. Yeah. If she's like I think this is like when um when Percy did that one real big solid for Zeus and his reward was don't ever fly again or I'll kill you. <laughs> oh, you're right. Yeah. This is more like, like he, he wouldn't leave this here for her. Right. So either was someone else like paid for it to be shipped to her or like maybe some poor demigod, like tried to get a a, a a package delivered in the fray of this and got killed before he could get, before, like after getting it but not able to retrieve the bubble wrap mm-hmm. i think i mean there's also a possibility of like because we know the first two rooms must be relatively consistent because there's a bunch of like athena kid corpses in there but i feel like below that i the annabeth speculates that this might be the labyrinth so who knows where this room used to be true true so I don't know, maybe maybe some demigods just went into there with some supplies from Hermes at one point. God, I love I love the concept of like fucking zombie labyrinths in other parts of parts of the world that were like cut off from Daedalus, so they didn't implode when he died. That's just a cool idea to me. It's cool, right? Like the idea that like Battle of the Labyrinth. Okay, it's important that we're going back to Battle of the Labyrinth here, right? That was. Mm-hmm. That was kind of Annabeth's first big like venture as like a character, like really outside of outside of certain bounds of the narrative that were placed on her before. Yeah, she was uh, the leader of the quest in that book. Exactly, and so having this be like, oh fuck, I'm back in the in the in the labyrinth. So we that, back in the mines. Got our pickaxe swinging from side to side. It, that's that, it. It's apt, right? It's, <laughs> it, the Minecraft song was right uh, because like. It's it's not enough to just parallel it. You have to put her back in the physical location, right? She is on she is on one. She is back in her arc from before. She's on the like I am having to make ultimate choices. It's all by myself. And 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 we're we're seeing how that plays out for her now. Like fucking 17 books later. We are. You're also saying very intelligent and insightful things about Annabeth's character, but your uh, Minecraft the Minecraft thing reminded me uh, that, like the way that um, Annabeth like runs through all of her, how all of her friends would solve the like getting down the ladder problem. Her her answer for Percy is that he would just like do the thing in Minecraft, where you like put a bucket of water on the wall and then float down in that. Yeah, <laughs> he could do that in real life. I think he could do that. I'm not disputing I hope... it. I just think it's a funny mental image. Do you think? Per- do you think they ever play Minecraft at Camp Half Blood? Probably not. No, no, but they have to. Annabeth absolutely plays Minecraft all the time because she loves architecture and building games. 
that's probably true i i know she's like really into the city sim stuff probably Mm. into like fucking 4x games i guess oh definitely but was when did minecraft minecraft might have gotten popular a little bit too late for for annabeth to be like into it in the series proper uh 2011 i think was when like it started to really blow up so like i I guess it would be like a cool new game that she's playing at this point in the series yeah i could see that being true i think it's on daedalus's laptop no of course it is like what do you think she's doing when she's quote-unquote like searching for important things she's playing minecraft she can't get any fucking signal on that boat there's no wi-fi on there yeah and you don't need a wi-fi connection to play minecraft so she can do it (laughs) no this is what i'm saying she's not searching for anything it's an obvious lie so she can play minecraft exactly yes yes we're on the same page okay i what what would she create i wonder i think she she would make make one of those like one of those like gigantic monument replicas that's like so big that um you like can't physically see the whole thing at once like it starts unrendering one of the ones she's really mad about this one of the things that if like you mod it so you can somehow see it like it doesn't even look like it's in minecraft anymore yeah exactly it's like it's the the little blocks are so tiny and used for so much detail it just looks like round pillars on the parthenon or whatever the fuck she's built god i it, it's it seems true yeah <laughs> annabeth like lamenting her lack of powers here really does drive home like she's like oh i think hazel said something about how like about how hazel can earthbend yeah hazel can earthbend she's like oh and jason can fly annabeth really is i guess the literal only person on this boat without powers huh yep she had a magical hat and now it doesn't work it's incredibly fucked she deserves magic (laughs) powers but honestly it's very like every time there is a character who is like a leader or like the most one of the most important ones uh and like they don't have powers it gives me incredibly strong like okay now this is this is a story that understands themes to at least some degree (laughs) (laughs) it's kind of in naruto it's in like fucking yomushi pedal of all things nobody knows what that is but i don't know what that i i assume that right off the bat that you were talking about uh teen titans because at this point she's just robin (laughs) it's a very common comic book thing she is robin you're right (laughs) and the i was how did she say that piper would get down with her powers because piper could just talk good yeah she said that piper would like convince tiberinus and uh, rea sylvia to just be more helpful oh yeah which is very funny because i i do i think that's exactly what she would do (laughs) i guess in some ways piper and annabeth it it makes sense that they've become such fast friends because they they're both um because piper's mind controlling her <laughs> that's it. Um, no, it's like they're both incredibly like emotionally fucked up teenage girls who have yes. been like, uh, like wrenched their hearts wrenched over love, uh, over and over again. They carry knives and they carry like specifically cool knives, and they don't really have any superpowers other than being very convincing or slash smart. They both they both care deeply about their dads, but have fucked up home lives for other reasons. Yeah, wait, there's probably more parallels here if we dug, too. Um, <laughs> they're both, like, the girl in, uh, in in their respective book. Like, Piper is the girl in The Lost Hero. Annabeth is the girl in pretty much most of the first series. <laughs> this is what they bond over. 
I guess they need to bond over with Hazel as well. They've all been like the token girl in the trio. That's true. I, I guess you know they're with their with their like ooh reaction of disgust over the jam. Have we? Hmm. Here's a question. Uh huh. If we if we poured over the page of the pages of this book, uh, w- would we not not to dig out not to dig out some like tools of discourse which are actually just jokes from comics uh does this book pass the bechdel test uh no it doesn't because the specific scene where they are all hanging out together uh hazel and piper are silent so that rick doesn't have to talk about like all the weird racist shit in the civil war so they they don't talk to each other they don't talk in the one chapter they're all together they have never all had a convert they have never like any pair of them had a conversation together that is not about boys in some way i don't think uh i think piper had a conversation with annabeth that was like i'm stealing your bagel or you stole my bagel Ooh, maybe that works then <laughs> you know oh, I d- oh no uh reyna and annabeth have a conversation at the start and it does it does cover boys to an extent but there's a bunch of other stuff as well that's fair oh I, and they and they have that confrontation at fort sumter which has nothing to do with boys and all really cool that's true. That's true. Okay, you're right. You know, th- I'm I'm giving Rick a little bit too much. I'm I'm sure, especially in 2012, there were probably like there was probably a specific editor on there. Like, okay, we have to make sh- I have to pour over it once to make sure that it does in fact pass the Bechdel test. I would not count on that to be quite honest. <laughs> no, no, I don't think that exists at all. That fucking Hyperion, a Disney publisher? Are you kidding me? I don't know. I feel like nowadays that might be true though. Like, get you. That's one of the like checklist things. <laughs> It's like, like on them... the, the Blizzard diversity matrix. Yes, exactly. <laughs> make them have a conversation about breakfast food. There we go. Back to test passed. Now we don't need to make them talk again. Uh, but yeah, we, I guess, you know, they're surprisingly similar characters in a lot of ways. What's wait? What's Hazel's weapon? Does Hazel, every, I, feel like, I feel like everyone has a signature weapon except for She's Hazel. got her um, cavalry sword. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's fine. Yeah, everybody gets a cool weapon, I think. Wait, except for... No, Frank has bows and arrows, okay. Frank has bows and arrows and can turn into bear. God, I, I want him to start turning into more than just bear, though. Uh, I, I think it's cool to turn into bear, but no, like, he needs to make... No, bear's good. Bear's fine. Bear means he's not turning into dragon. Mm, you're right. <laughs> you're right. I, rescinding all criticism of bear, bear can stay. <laughs> What a, it's it's emotionally resonant with his backstory. It, it's fine. Exactly. Ah, oh, fuck! I had a really good segue and then I lost it. No. Oh wait, wait! I remember what it was. Okay, okay. Uh, speaking of like uh, weird editor stuff. Yeah. I feel like there's there's a degree to which bum, we need to rescind. Oh. Um. I will stop my recording and fuck up this entire episode. <laughs> I want a Grover. <laughs> squad. Grover. I want two Grover squad. We can't do this. We can't make this a regular thing. Welcome back to Grover Watch. It's <laughs> it's our segment where, where we watch out for any instance of Grover being mentioned. Uh, I can't believe this is the most important Grover scene in the book. <laughs> We learned that Grover taught a wilderness cl- survival advice class, and <laughs> that's the Grover mention for the book. 
Grover is the ropes keeper from fucking Sleepaway. Oh my god, he is. That's really fucking funny. Okay, I'm sorry. Go back to your thing. <laughs> uh, my thing was, we were talking about uh, weird editor bullshit, and I feel like we need to roll back some criticism we made of, like, or possibly just me, I don't remember, um, of, like, like maybe it was a weird editorial decision that, like, Arachne's name got mentioned early on and then nobody seemed to know who she was. Because in Annabeth's case, that does seem to have actually been deliberate. Like, she, I think she mentions to, um, like, um, Audrey Hepburn and Gregory Peck that fucking, like, she knows who's down there and she doesn't want to think about it. So it makes sense why she's never mentioned Arachne's name. Still fucking weird that nobody else figured it out, though. Oh, definitely. I, <laughs> that, that wasn't I, I did come across this too in the chapter reading. I was like, okay, I guess I'm a bit more fine with it. It still, it still does come across as clumsy. Like, you've convinced me of that. But I'm... It makes sense that she would try to block it out. And about the scared of spiders, like all like all cowards are. Yes, exactly. I agree. Speaking as a coward. <laughs> no, I'm also a coward. I'm very scared of spiders. <laughs> They're bad I... and creepy. Were were you okay in these chapters? Were you did you like survive through them? Oh yeah, no, I was I was absolutely fine. The most the most that I got out of it was like, damn, Arachne's too spiderfied. Yeah. Oh yes. Not gonna get anything out of this. <laughs> yeah, fair. Uh, she's she sort of you know passes what? the threshold. Sorry, go fucking, on. Fucking credit where it's due, though. Rick Ryder, more courageous than the fucking Middle-Earth Shadow of War developers. Do they, they just go with, like, sexy spider boob lady? They made Shelob, the giant, the just giant awful spider thing from the movies, turn into a sexy boob lady. What? Yeah. That's literally just a giant spider, right? She's just a giant spider. She's not, like, sentient or anything. She's... But they were like, uh, no, we need we need a sexy lady, so Shelob's gonna turn into a lady. What the fuck? So, you know, Rick, Rick Ryden will at least make a fucked up spider lady. That's that's a, a point in his positives column. It's true, yeah. You know, good good on you, Rick Ryden. You're not held down by horny. <laughs> uh, it is fucked up, though, that she has, like, apparently a tapestry of Annabeth and Percy kissing. That's real fucked up. I like that, though, as, like, just... An incredibly weird and violating thing she's done for like one of the like big emotional climaxes of the series. Completely right, like that is that is that is ruining a memory for Annabeth. <laughs> that is like she Arachne. I, I this is really convincing me here. Arachne is like the most vindictive person on the planet. <laughs> uh, it's it's really suiting that we met Nemesis earlier. That's true. Arachne is like. I am going to eat, like, Athena's most favorite child to make her especially sad. Like, this, <laughs> and, like, not just that. Before I eat her, I'm going to make her uh, feel, like, really bad about probably one of her favorite memories by uh, <laughs> making a tapestry of it and proving that I was watching it when she kissed her boyfriend for, for like, the first time. Was there a spider in the water? I guess so. It was just like hiding behind a little rock or something. It was not like one of those like spider crabs or something. Oh, you're right. Can Percy talk to? Hmm. What? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. She's just a big bug. She's a big bug who's very angry about, uh, admittedly, a completely legitimate grievance. Oh, absolutely. Like there, there is some like. There, there's a little bit of stuff thrown in the in the final bits where it's like, oh, but it wasn't the story that you lost. Didn't you fairly lose the contest before being turned into a spider? <laughs> Which still, 
Uh, not great. No, we made a bet. You need to saw your own leg off. But also, I, I just wanted to like reach through the page and slap Rick right in the face when Annabeth was like, ah, oh, maybe history has been rewritten in some ways to like benefit the the status quo and the people who are in power at the minute. But there's no time to interrogate that right now. It's really funny how often it like is butted up against and then not explored. Yeah. Yeah, it only ever comes up in like life or death situations where there's an excuse for them to not have to think about it. It's like yeah. when Phineas was like, hey, didn't the Romans have a bunch of slaves? And they're like, maybe they did, but uh, we need to get the hoppy and go. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. Oh, the series. <laughs> we pretty much skipped over the chapter uh, with the, the, big ca- the big hole. I mean, what's there to say? Still, like, I, yeah. I mean, this was the this is the first chapter, right? This was this was the chapter with the big hole. No, no, the the second big hole. There's two big holes. There's three big holes. Oh wait, are you talking about the big hole where she gets the spiders uh, across? Yeah, yeah, where she's being chased by the spiders. The third big hole is the one that um, the the big statue is being like held out of by the webs. Oh, I thought you were talking about the big hole uh, that she busted through when she was going out of the uh, when she was going out of the uh, mi- the mystery cult. That's a medium sized hole at best. That's like Annabeth sized. That's true. She does make a big hole in the ceiling, though. That's true. Uh, no, yeah, there we 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 kind of skipped over this beginning part to uh, to get straight to the the good stuff. But yeah, Annabeth and probably. Probably the most like okay, this is a video game uh, thing <laughs> yet. Like she, she's suddenly being chased by spiders when the chapter starts, and uh, like she just like does the quick time event to set some like wood on fire behind her as she's going. All she's missing is like um, uh, a video game NPC next to her saying, "Those planks look flammable." Hey, those planks look kind of flammable. Do you want to set them on fire? Maybe the fire would repel the spiders. <laughs> those iron bars, the, those bars on the side of the wall, they look like they could be a bridge. But wait, no. Maybe that string you have. Maybe Annabeth is like, what happens when a video game support NPC is left to their own devices? And they're not having to steer some dipshit player into the solutions. They can just do the thing. That's a pretty good read, actually, because she <laughs> per, like Percy is the dipshit video game protagonist. Oh my god, you're right. And she has finally been like, she doesn't have to be like Percy. Don't you remember the myth I told you about? <laughs> and he's like, No, I don't remember these things because I know you'll just tell me. God, that's really <laughs> that's. I never looked at the codex. Oh my god! Wow. <laughs> This is, like, incredibly true of their relationship and their characters, isn't it? <laughs> uh, what's up with that statue with that statue, huh? It's a big statue. I How's she gonna move it? How did they get it down here? Well, I have no idea how the fuck it got down here. I guess, like, the Romans... I guess they could probably wheelbarrow it over or something. Actually, you know what? Getting it down there is probably the easy part. It's a lot easier to drop a statue down a hole than it is to get the statue out of the hole. That's true. It it did make huge cracks in the floor too, so they probably weren't that careful. <laughs> God, they really did just dump it there. No wonder Athena's so pissed. God, uh, my it, it's a it's for all intents and purposes it seems like a great statue too. Uh, I my guess is going to be that like somehow Annabeth is gonna get Nike's help. Mm-hmm. Like 
okay like i feel like there wouldn't maybe this is like true historically but i feel like there wouldn't be a statue of nike very directly mentioned if that wasn't going to come into play that fucking threw me for a loop i didn't know that nike was like a god you didn't know that no i thought it was just the shoes (laughs) no nike is not just shoes nike is a god of i think victory uh that is why that is why the shoes are called that why the fuck would you name your fast running shoe brand nike and not hermes I don't know. I always imagine Nike wearing Nikes, but maybe that's just my own, like... (laughs) That's a good question. Maybe Nike was, like, fast? Oh, okay. Uh, I'm I'm looking at Wikipedia now. Um, She's often... I guess she, like, is... She flies. She has winged victory. So so, so maybe... So does Hermes. His shoes have fucking wings on them. Well, that's true. (laughs) Well, I don't have a good explanation. Maybe there are already some Hermes shoes. Imagine if we lived in a world where instead of that fucking tick on the side of the shoes, it was like a cool little Hermes wing. That would be cool. That would be cooler, IMO. Still assembled by fucking child labor, but you know, it's nicer design. <sighs> it's true. And speaking of child labor... Um, uh-huh. You know, these children really are doing a lot of labor. Why not send adults on the quests? because <laughs> well i was gonna say because they all fucking die before they're 18 but that's not true is it the roman ones are regularly going to adulthood yeah why the fuck are they getting kids to do this <laughs> do you think the roman the roman adult demigods are ever like well it's so sad about how many kids have died this year on quests too bad we can't, <laughs> too bad we can't do anything about that i guess i'll just sit over here in new rome going to college I don't know, maybe they... I mean, they they don't have any investment in this system. They're in a fucking oppressive dictatorship ruled by Reyna, who they don't elect. Oh, true. The the, the kids elect her, and then they apparently also run the military. So I guess it's just, like, a fucking munchkin military hunter. (laughs) Yeah, and last time one of them tried to have a kid, and, like, they, like, had a plastic sword and were running around, and fucking Terminus ate them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, maybe you would just keep your fucking head down and not bother with the quests. That makes sense, actually. God, we—I don't think we've considered this element before that, like, New Rome is just a completely like restrictive, oppressed society. But it's—it it seems more and more likely the, the more we make up stuff about it. <laughs> Listen, it's not our fault that Terminus is literally doing fucking TSA security theater at the border. He is. God, I went through TSA recently. That. I'm so sorry. More and more lately, you know, sometimes I used to get away with, like, they would let me through without the groping, but there's been a lot of groping recently. Uh-huh. Anyway, that's my that's my complaint corner. Uh, <laughs> lot of corners, lot of segments in this episode. That's right. You know, let's do it. Let's 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 do another little segment. Actually, let's let's do a uh, the Percy Jackson character is not so sad. We, we need a better. We're never going to have a different name for that segment, but we need a better name for it. <laughs> God, uh, my my pick is um, the the leader of the Mithras guys. The the Pater. The Pater, because he's spending all day in the goon cave with the homies. Yeah, but it's not it's not it's not gay to goon with the homies. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying, listen, that he he may believe that I'm saying that he has some repressed feelings about himself that he needs to confront, and now can't because Annabeth has stuck him in a wall forever. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> um, 
I am going to elect. Uh, I'm actually going to elect Nike. Uh-huh. Uh, you're in another woman's hand for all your life. Pretty gay. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> it's fun to do these. It's fun to do. I, I like just making up things and asserting them about these characters. Absolutely. Uh, I, I think that might be it for us, though. Oh, uh, last thing, just to, just to go back to the Mithras guys. Uh, I just like a very like subtle, understated part of how like weird and pathetic they are. Is that they kind of they know girls allowed Annabeth as soon as she comes into their little shitty club, uh, but later on the page is like, oh yeah, uh, uh, Arachne uh, pays us tribute to kind of keep our little thing going if we kill the the children of Athena. So like, no girls allowed, but they are completely reliant on a woman for uh, their survival. It's true. They th- this is just like real life, I guess. <laughs> they are fucking MRAs living in their mom's basement. I I have to wonder. There seems to be like some elaborate economy of villains happening in this book, slowly and slowly. Like uh-huh. we're hearing, we're hearing more and more about people hiring other people than I feel like we didn't in the first series. That's true. There's like yeah, because like guys put out a bounty on them, which what I the guess fuck are you? she she pays them by just like digging a bunch of jewels out of the earth and gives them that. I guess so. I, I guess so. I feel like you could be like if if you're a Gaia, what I would do, I like I would I will create a new mountain for you to rule. Like just do that, you know what I mean? I yeah, because you'd, you'd want something like that because if your if your goal is like ah Gaia is going to give me some form of currency in exchange for doing this thing for her, her goal is to destroy all civilization. At which point, currency as a means of exchange is kind of fucking worthless. Yeah, the, maybe she intends to like. Is this like a sort of like ANCAP thing? <laughs> we can't do this. We can't do this. We can't say We've the already guy talked is about an... whether she's an eco-fascist. The, we, so you're saying it's it's okay to say that Gaia is an eco-fascist, but not too. But it's too far to say that she's also an ANCAP. I'm saying that we can't spend all this time trying to fucking pin her down on the political compass meme. I guess that's fair. <laughs> uh, well, if you want to tell us what you think Gaia uh, lands on the political spectrum, or uh, you just have questions for us, I want to reiterate again that you can send those to us, please, for our 100th episode. Also, uh, like I said, I think that will do it for us today. So our intro and outro music is Super Mario Ocean by Space Pony. Our cover art is by Vera at Ismuth underscore N. We're hosted by the Moonshot Podcast Network. You can find them at Moonshot Pods on Twitter. I expect some news in the next like month or like so. In the next like couple of months, we're about new podcasts coming to the Moonshot Network. Mm-hmm. Now you can find us on Twitter at Unwise Girls. Uh, there we've got links to our uh, email, our Discord server, our personals, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. We also have threads uh, detailing, like if we if we talk about like the covers of books or whatnot. They usually happen mm-hmm. in the beginning, but you never know. Maybe we'll decide to talk about the covers of these books again for some reason. Um, <laughs> and we're getting close to the end of this one. We'll be talking about a new cover soon. That's true. It doesn't feel like it, but we are very close to the end of this book. <laughs> It so it feels like it's gonna be like we it feels like we still have half but we do not. We very much do not. We have like four episodes left, I think. So we'll be, we'll be like finishing this book around the time of episode one hundred, I think. God damn. Uh, additionally, if you want to support us, you can go and leave a five star rating and review on your podcast app of choice. You can go and tell your friends, 
Or you can go and support us monetarily by going to patreon.com slash unwisegirls, where for a dollar a month, you can get the Discord role of Camp Counselor. For $3 a month, you can get the Discord role of a Friend of Bacchus, as well as all of our bonus content. Uh, yep. Uh, last episode, the latest bonus episode we posted, uh, was about the end of Homestuck. So uh, our, our like, read-through of the entire comic is all complete, so if you've been kind of uh, holding off on getting into that, this would be, you know, you can binge the whole thing now. You can just go through and listen to me slowly getting more and more dirk-pilled as it goes. <laughs> oh, it's true, it's true. And we are gonna do we are gonna we're, we are gonna do more Homestuck stuff in the future. So watch out for that. <laughs> there is no escape. No, and if you're also if you're being put off by the Homestuck stuff, we're also gonna do more non-Homestuck stuff in the future. So look out for that. Yep, uh, we're gonna do more of the um, Trez Navari books that Rick Ryden wrote like before and during Percy Jackson. It's true. Uh, and for five dollars a month, you can get the Discord role of Venus is Chosen, all of our bonus content, and. A special thank you at the end of every episode. Speaking of which, this week we'd like to thank Danny, Tana, Mercy, Veronica, Friend, Bree, and Erica. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. And as we always say, at the end of every single episode... See you next week, Camp Half-Blood. See you next week, Camp Half-Blood. Bye. Nicole was your typical hopeless romantic, moonlighting as a fanfiction writer. Claudia was a hard-headed activist with a YouTube channel and the mysterious past. When Nicole hit a deep funk in her writing, Claudia suggests one of her hidden passions, romance novels. Now the two have fallen into a world of endless handsome hunks, doe-eyed damsels, and lascivious lovers. It is now their sacred duty to rank these novels on three criteria. Their steaminess. I had to fan myself off. Their dreaminess. She's not missing anything without him, but he makes her life better. And their meaniness. Cal wouldn't be in some small town pie eating contest. That's not why he left me. <laughs> Join our heroines every other week as they overcome unhealthy relationship archetypes, thesaurus abusing authors, and anatomical inaccuracies to prove that love can conquer all on the Three Little Words Podcast, only on the Moonshot Network.